Welcome everyone to the 11th episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? It's a great weekend. How's it going, David? Really excited for uh, episode 11. Yeah, this one's great. We have our, our first guest uh, who uh, is building a project in the crypto space here on this episode. Uh, none other than Amin Soleimani. Uh, Amin is the CEO behind the SpankChain project. Uh, and if you don't know, SpankChain is working on creating kind of a platform for the adult performance industry to come on to uh, Ethereum and cryptocurrency at large. Uh, we'll let Amin really explain what the goals of SpankChain is in the episode. But um, it was the, the, this is the first, uh, IC, first and only ICO that I ever participated in. And I'm pretty proud about that just simply because of uh, the prominence of SpankChain in the Ethereum ecosystem, both as a solid example of a good use case of cryptocurrency and uh, new innovative technology being built upon Ethereum. I mean, in the Spankchain team are working on the uh, the payment channel technology on top of Ethereum, um, and so they're kind of leading the charge with that, uh, using uh, opening a bar tab uh, between uh, viewers and uh, performers on their Spankchain website. Uh, and so it's a it's a nice it's nice use of a, of, of cryptocurrency appropriately um and for for social good yeah i think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode i mean is super smart and uh like david said uh even though the platform might be something that makes you uncomfortable uh you know people in the adult entertainment space are chronically underbanked and the technology that he's developed is going to be pivotal pivotal for scaling any crypto asset or crypto blockchain based system so uh, hope you guys really enjoy this episode with Amin. It was fun trying to interview him. He had uh, pink hair and had just woken up. I think it was like 4 p.m. So life of a developer, pretty funny. Yeah, and without further ado, let's get into it. Hey, Amin, welcome to the show. Really appreciate you coming on here and spending some time with us. Cool, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, let's get right into it. What triggered you to get into the intersection of uh, the adult industry and cryptocurrency? Uh, I was working at Consensus. It was uh, summer of 2017. Uh, I was the payment channels micropayments expert, and I started thinking about where this was going to happen first. Uh, and I had left Consensus, and so I realized that it was definitely adult uh, and porn. Uh, and not only because, you know, porn's willing to try anything and generally comes first, but also because in this specific case, uh, the adult industry has a history of being discriminated against by banks and financial institutions. They have their bank accounts shut down. PayPal will s shut down their accounts and seize their funds. Visa and MasterCard won't process their transactions unless they go through like a shady payment processor that takes like 10 to 15% fees. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, everybody at the time was, was talking about these sort of hand wavy ways of saving the world with blockchain technology. Uh, and, you know, I also want to save the world, but I thought about it and I was like, well, I can't imagine a future where we've successfully saved the world and porn doesn't work yet. So I thought maybe we should start with porn and then we'll save the world. Nice. So did you have like a, a an acquaintance or some some like friend that worked in the industry or did you just decide that porn was it and you built the bridge there or how did that happen? Yeah, uh, we were in talks with Suicide Girls uh, to act to, to be our launch partner. And then they told us they didn't want to work with us because they didn't like our name. And so then we started reaching out in our network to see if we knew anybody in the adult industry. And that's when we found uh, Janice Griffith, who was a friend of a friend of a friend. She wasn't already into crypto, but we actually, I think first or second time we met, we had like a three hour whiteboard session uh, where I just like broke down. I was like, this is what Bitcoin is. This is how it works. This is why it's, you know, it holds the immutable, history of all transactions since the beginning of time, uh, you know, then here's Ethereum, here's smart contracts, here's why, you know, you can't do some things on Bitcoin, you can do on Ethereum, and here's Spank Chain, and here's how our system works, and here's how it's going to make porn better. 
and she thought that was cool and she joined us. Awesome. Very, very cool. So where is uh, Spank Chain in its roadmap? Uh, you guys have some live performers in your beta, to my understanding. Um, and so where, where are we now and where are we going? So our roadmap, I published it uh, shortly before our token sale last year, October. Uh, it's a dependency graph. Uh, we actually have done a relatively good job at staying uh, aligned with our roadmap. Uh, the roadmap starts out where you know, Spank Chain is trying to build uh, products and services for adults. So we are building a cam site that's been live for about six months, went live uh, April 2nd. Um, we are building a clip site that has not gone live yet, but the designs are just in. Um, we're building a payment processor called Spank Pay to integrate onto other uh, sites. Uh, that want to accept crypto instantly for 0.5% fees using our payment channel technology. Uh, we launched the Spank Bank, which is our algorithmic central bank to control and manage the uh, booty stablecoin supply. Uh, so we launched our own stablecoin. That was booty. We did that about two months ago. Um, booty is pegged to a dollar. Get it? Like pegging booty. Mm -hmm. Nice. The nice. Butthole. Uh, and then... <laughs> Uh, we are getting ready to launch a decentralized exchange that will be called Come Swap. Come swap with us. We have the best liquidity. <laughs> Jesus. So, I mean, who comes up with the names? Is it like a team effort? Are you the mastermind? It's a team effort. I'm a little bit of a meme lord. Um, but we have, we have a lot of fun, creative jam sessions where we just play off each other and, and think of fun names for things. We have a, the stability incentivization mechanism that is not included in this version of the Spank Bank, but will be in the next version, will be called the Booty Call. It's kind of like a margin call, mm. but for booty. Mm. Um, so <laughs> Too good. Then we, we actually got hacked recently, so we lost about $40,000 that was in our payment channel contract. Uh, we ended up getting it all back. I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but... Uh, we reverted our site to the old version, which was Ether only. Uh, and we built a bunch of hype around launching the campsite to be upgraded with Booty, our stablecoin, because we were shipping the first ever uh, payment channel contract and uh, hub that allowed ERC-20 tokens. But we had to revert it. And so now as we're getting to ship that, getting ready to ship that again, we're calling this the Rebooty. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's it's great i didn't think of that one somebody in our discord thought of that one awesome yeah community uh getting uh, the community involved i see so yeah let's actually get into the the, the hacking um take us through the, the timeline of that uh, how did that happen okay uh october 5th we launched the upgraded uh campsite with booty uh october 6th we were hacked and lost forty thousand dollars uh, I think October 7th, we realized what had happened uh, and because we were all working pretty hard on fixing the bugs and like just trying to get it working and, and weren't actually paying as much attention as we should have. And then there was about two, three days where we were in sort of full-on crisis management mode, uh, addressing the public, addressing our community, uh, doing a full-on internal audits of the contracts and the code involved, uh, publishing a transparency report, which uh, like explained the attack vector that the hacker used, recreated all of the attacks, um, and listed a couple other exploits that we found as well. And then uh, we, on my way back from ETHSF, uh, so this is all happening around ETHSF, on my way back in the car ride, I got the number of the attacker and gave them a call. And they were not expecting you to get a call. I said, hey, I'm Amin Soleimani. I'm the CEO of Spank Chain. Do you know why I'm calling? They're like, uh, yeah. It's <laughs> like, okay, well, you know, I, I, I was pretty impressed with them. So I, I started out the conversation. I say, well, congratulations on being the real winner of the ETHSF hackathon. Very impressed with your work. Thank you for showing us the vulnerabilities in our code. 
uh, I'd really appreciate my money back. And if you give it back to me, I'll give you a $5,000 reward. And they said, well, you know, I think that's pretty reasonable. And so they texted me the private keys. And then I was able to uh, secure the funds. And then they mentioned that there's actually a second exploit. So the hack stole $40,000 worth of Ether, but it immobilized 4,000 booty on the contract, on the payment channel contract. And so I had a plan to get that out, but it involved bringing the performers online and the users online, and they would have to sign a message uh, once they sign back on that would allow us to then unlock the funds. But the hacker said that there was a second exploit that could allow them to do it immediately. And I thought, well, if this person can do this, anybody can do this, and I'd rather have them do it now than somebody else do it. So I told them, well, if you can get this, the rest of the 4,000 booty back for me, I, in 24 hours, I'll give you $4,000. And an hour later, it was actually 65 minutes later, they uh, sent me all the booty, and then I sent them $4,000 worth of ETH and had another phone call with them, said, you know, thank you very much, pleasure doing business with you. Uh, now we're friends. Uh, they've done two pro bono audits for me on other things, on the Spank Bank and the Moloch DAO. So um, things worked out. Uh, we we got lucky, right? This isn't like how this is supposed to go. I never expected to see that money again. I'd kissed it goodbye. Uh, but we had a little bit of help uh, from somebody you know, I won't talk about, but was able to track down the, the hacker and uh, they were ultimately reasonable. Uh, and I think that when hackers, you know, do what they do best uh, and expose the vulnerabilities in our software, we should thank them and welcome them uh, into the community. Yeah, it sounds like you got the, the cheapest security audit of all time. Uh, I did. I did. So it was $9,000 total. And then it led to a lot of security auditors reaching out to us, contacting us, wanting to work with us. Uh, and at this point, I think I have like the contacts of everyone, about 30 security auditors that I can reach out to at any time. Uh, so it all worked out pretty well. We got three three audits on the rewrite. What a crazy story. Yeah, so I have a, I have a quick question. I mean, um, what would you think is like the biggest lesson that you learned from this? And then long term, like how do you see... Um, these kind of hacking shaking out and how do you think it will affect uh, you know the viability of these kind of solutions I think it's sort of like the steam engine uh, where like a bunch of stuff is going to explode and then it'll probably just work uh, right like that's this is called progress <laughs> um, so uh, yeah I'm sure there will be more hacks the, the, the lesson is you know if you're going to forego an external audit, like make sure you do an internal one. Uh, we we weren't quite diligent enough in the smart contract development process. There's a lot of people working on different parts of it. Um, nobody was sort of taking full responsibility uh, for it. And so we released it without it being uh, as secure as it could have been. Uh, and, you know, the, the calculus, I still stand behind not getting an audit because audits... You know, at the time, the people we were talking to were quoting us like thirty to fifty thousand dollars plus, and the, for the previous contract, uh, the more simple Ether-only unidirectional payment channels contract, we got it for seventeen thousand uh, dollars from Open Zeppelin, from Ze Zeppelin, and then they, the, the most money that the contract ever held was seventeen thousand dollars, which seems kind of silly, uh, so. You know, I stand by not getting the audit, but could have done a lot better work on making sure internally that the contracts had been reviewed. And for the rewrite, uh, so post-hack, uh, our team, the Connects team, the Kyokan teams, everyone rallied, came together, and we built an entirely new payment channel system from scratch around totally new contracts that not only are more secure, but also solve several major user experience challenges around using payment channels by combining every combination of deposits, withdrawals, and exchange from either the user or the hub into a single on-chain transaction. Uh, so that's that's been a really rewarding experience overall. So I know that you, you are kind of like a payments channel expert, and I've actually seen you speak a couple times. Um, 
I'm just kind of curious, what is the difference between layer two payment channel solutions that you are building on ETH versus, you know, what's fi kind of famously being done on Lightning Network for Bitcoin and other uh, coins that can interact with Lightning Network? Yeah, so Lightning Network and Raiden are pretty similar, uh, but there's other configurations of payment channels. Um, like there, there's, I, I think that these things are more similar than they are different. Uh, in the future, I expect them to interoper, like be interoperable. Uh, and so uh, for us, what we're doing is a little bit different than Raiden in the sense that we're not trying to build the network first. We're trying to build uh, technology for specific hubs uh, first to allow a hub to manage payment channels on behalf of users uh, who are both spending and receiving money to facilitate peer-to-peer -peer transactions there. Uh, we're using a technique called virtual channels, which is a little bit different than hash locks, uh, which is the technique used in both Lightning and Raiden. Uh, our virtual channel system was researched by a group in, I think, Germany called Perun. Uh, they received an Ethereum grant. Um, but instead of needing to have every payment be conditional. It's uh, you open sort of a sub-channel uh, as a virtual channel. Uh, there's a lot of names for these things. We're not really done naming it. It's the first one that exists, so we'll figure it out. Uh, but basically, you know, we like payment channels so much that we put payment channels in payment channels. So you've got your user and your performer, and they both have a payment channel with the hub, and then uh, the user and the performer will open a direct virtual channel with each other through the hub that can be settled back into their payment channel balances with the hub at any time. And if the hub is offline or uh, you know unwilling to cooperate, then the virtual channel can actually be settled uh, on the chain in the same way that your normal channel would. Uh, so when you're a user, you have like $50 on the site. When you join a cam show, it'll move like 20 of your dollars that you have in your payment channel into a sub-channel with that specific performer who is uh, streaming. And then you can tip that instantly, and then if you run out, off-chain, it'll just settle that virtual channel back into your main payment channel, and then it'll open up another virtual channel with more money in it, and then it can keep going. Uh, but all of that virtual channel opening and closing is handled off-chain. So it's pretty pretty quick. I guess, what's, what do you see as kind of like the long game for this technology? Uh, do you see Booty and, and Spank being like potentially adopted outside of this specific use case? Or are you just trying to build out these frameworks for someone to use any other token or ETH directly or even some other type of uh, you know, non-ETH-based crypto um, on this? I'm, I'm just curious what, what your vision is uh personally for me i think it'd be freaking hilarious if i paid for something in booty in the future um but you know again i'm just kind of interested to see you know what 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 you think yeah so my goal is for booty to become the reserve currency of the earth uh there's a there's a non-zero probability that that's going to happen uh that's what we're all working on uh and you know might take a while but that's that's the dream so uh in the shorter term uh, I think that we we have become booty maximalists uh, on our platform. Uh, and so you sort of automatically convert into booty when you use it, uh, when you use the campsite or if you're uh, funding your accounts by clips and stuff. Um, now, and, and when you're a performer, you earn in booty. And then when you cash out, you withdraw, you get paid out in ETH. Um, and so that allows us to basically... Uh, you know, introduce some stability. Uh, we we previously allowed uh, payments in Ether uh, for the first six months of the operation of the campsite. Um, and if you, you know, were watching the prices, uh, everybody who is holding Ether in order to do this, the viewers who put Ether there, performers who are getting paid, everybody lost a bunch of money. Uh, and that sucked. So... We, we want to, you know, in the name of having a better user experience, introduce the booty as a stablecoin so people don't really have to think about that. Uh, when we release the SDK, SpankPay, 
we will allow for, you know, by default, it'll use Booty, but we're also fine with any other stable coins or other tokens or just Ether being used. It depends on whatever the merchant wants to accept and what the users who go to that merchant site are willing to pay for. We could offer some exchange under the hood um, to facilitate that. Uh, and so, uh, like, you know, you, with the current payment channel contracts, you could do ETH right now. Uh, we'd have to upgrade them again in order to be able to use, do multi-token because it only supports one token at the moment, uh, but it could support more. Uh, and then uh, if you want to just use the code uh, and not the actual spank pay, which would be using our payment channel hub uh, and paying our fees, you're welcome to use whatever token, ether thing that you want uh, and set up your own system. Uh, and so uh, that's, as far as Ethereum is concerned, that's where we're at in the future. I expect to see like layer two interoperability with Lightning and Bitcoin. A lot of people ask me like, when BTC? You know, when, when can I start paying in Bitcoin? And it's like, well, you can get Ether pretty easily from Bitcoin. Uh, and then you can come to the site and use that. Um, the, the way, the, the amount of work I'd have to do to integrate Bitcoin is actually kind of annoying uh, because I would have to like rewrite all of the wallet stuff, uh, all of the hub stuff in order to run my own Lightning node, like watch transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain, handle disputes on the Bitcoin blockchain. Like the wallet code would also have to have Bitcoin private keys. It'd have to know when to use Ethereum private keys or Bitcoin private keys, uh, you know, introduce the subtraction. It'd be much easier for me to integrate Bitcoin once uh, Bitcoin is a token on Ethereum, which I think it will fairly, you know, quickly become once uh, a bridge is available. Uh, right now, there's only federated bridges. That's like the Beko. You're calling that federated bridge? Yeah, basically, any time that you put Ether or Bitcoin in escrow on Bitcoin blockchain. And it's supposed to be unlocked by, you know, five of seven votes are from some group of people that are supposed to be trusted. And, uh, you know, if they collude, then they can take all the money. Right. That's but the ultimate potential is like Bitcoin and Ethereum will be plugged directly into each other uh, so that you can have a escrow on Bitcoin where the Bitcoins are locked up. And when they are locked up, Ethereum smart contract will be able to be, you'll be able to submit a Bitcoin block to it. So this actually exists on Ethereum today. It's called BTC Relay, uh, where Bic Ethereum can read Bitcoin blocks and then uh, validate the proof of work and also determine whether or not a transaction was included in the Merkle root of the block hash. Uh, and so you can say, you know, was a transaction on Bitcoin that locked up some number of Bitcoins at this uh, script hash. And then on Ethereum, you would say, okay, if that happened, then uh, mint some number of a Bitcoin token represent, you know, that represents this Bitcoin token. And then on uh, Ethereum, once those are burned and sent to an address, then you do the same thing on the other side. Uh, on Bitcoin, you would say, uh, submit a block in Ethereum, validate the uh, proof of work, and then is a transaction included in that block where uh, these Bitcoin token representations of a Bitcoin were actually burned, and if so, then unlock the money on Bitcoin, and now you have a two-way peg. It's called a relay chain. Vitalik wrote a paper about it like two years ago. Uh, <laughs> the only reason that it, we can't have that right now is Bitcoin can't validate Ethereum blocks uh, because it, the proof-of-work hash algorithm on Ethereum is uh, memory-hard. It requires two megabytes of RAM. Uh, so once you move to proof of stake and you're validating like signatures from a validator set, then Bitcoin can validate Ethereum blocks, uh, and then you get two-way pegs, and then we get Bitcoin tokens, and then I have to do a lot less work to integrate Bitcoin into spec chain, and then I'm happy. Nice. You're just gonna hold out until then, then. <laughs> well, it's like, do I do a bunch of work for it to be obsolete on, like immediately, right? Yeah, no, it's like, probably uh, not. Very interesting. So, question for you: When POS? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, it's it's something that is important. Uh, I would guess like, I mean, they've, they've now added sharding to it. Uh, and now it's Shasper. So I think it'll take longer. It's a little bit of scope creep. Uh, if it was up to me, I would probably publish like pure POS without the sharding. 
uh, and not try and do too many things and get like maybe some shorter block times. But uh, I think at this rate, it's looking like, I don't know, late 2019 uh, for the first ETH 2.0 iteration. Sounds about right. So you're creating a DAO. Uh, so let's get into that. And actually, before we get into the DAO, let's get into Moloch. So why pitch, pitch to our, our listeners, Moloch, what is it and why is it important and why should people pay attention to the concept? Moloch is the Canaanite god of child sacrifice. Uh, I thought it was a fitting name for my DAO. It's sort of like the god of coordination failures. Uh, so I learned about Moloch around the same time that I learned about Ethereum. It was early 2016 and I read a blog post. It's the best blog post I read in 2016 called Meditations on Moloch. And it uses Moloch to describe like all of the situations in which like humans can't have nice things, right? And it's uh, all the times where Moloch describes sufficiently competitive situations where everybody has something that they value that they can sacrifice in order to gain some competitive advantage. And the end result is that everyone does. And in, in relative terms, not much changes. And in absolute terms, everyone's collectively worse off. Uh, and this happens because no one wants to be the only one to not uh, do that. Uh, and, and because you can't effectively coordinate to make sure that nobody you know, does this sacrifice and so everybody ends up doing it. So just to ground this in, in more concrete examples, Moloch is uh, like overfishing, right? So the dominant strategy when you're dealing with an overfishing scenario is to get everyone else to stop overfishing and then overfish yourself. Uh, Moloch describes uh, things like arms races between countries, right? As nation states, you know, countries, we all value education, healthcare, welfare, uh, infrastructure, roads, you know, stuff like that. But uh, we end up spending money on guns and bombs and planes because if 99% of all of the countries disarm tomorrow, the incentive for that last 1% to not disarm becomes like exponentially higher because then they can take over everyone else. And because you have these equilibria that result from, you know, if everybody tries to, you know, work together and coordinate and, and do the right thing, then the incentive to defect becomes way higher. And that's why you get these equilibria where everything sucks all the time. Uh, and so knowing this, changes you it changes like how you look at the world uh because it makes it so that every time you start a like every time anybody has ever started a sentence with if only we all just that was a stupid sentence like that's a futile sentence like no one cares like every just stop wasting everyone else's time and your own time right and so the, the only thing that matters when you want something is what are you willing to sacrifice uh and so i'm building a DAO called Moloch, uh, because I want Ethereum to work. Uh, and I think that there's an opportunity for everyone else who also wants Ethereum to work uh, and for dApps to work to come together, uh, pool our tokens and Ether and resources uh, to in, in a portfolio-like structure, uh, and then proportionally dilute ourselves to fund the things that we vote and collectively agree that would benefit all of us. And it gives uh, engineers, talent, talented individuals, uh, contributors in the space, a way to uh, build on the, the roadmap for you know, Ethereum and, and, and many of the top projects in Ethereum by uh, and, 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 and be incentivized by this like portfolio uh, of assets, which was traditionally only available to uh, like the investor side. Um, and so I think that there's a shift in the importance of capital versus labor, uh, where I think labor has uh, uh, quite a lot more leverage now. Um, and, and I think that uh, like basically the, the problem with getting all of this stuff done is like, 
if only there is a way for all of the projects to fund things together, then nobody's just waiting for somebody else to do it, mm. right? And so you actually have to build this coordination infrastructure in order to facilitate that, right? And if the game is, hey, like, we all put in the same amount relative to what we have, and you have votes relative to what you have, I think that's a fair game. Uh, and so I, I wrote all the smart contracts for this. This is actually the been working on it with Connects for a while. Uh, this is the third iteration of the contracts published a while ago. Got a little sidetracked with uh, getting hacked and everything. Happens. Uh, but <laughs> plan on continuing on it, hopefully release it by the end of the year uh, and start funding projects. Uh, my plan is to just put a bunch of my money into it and see what happens. So is this kind of a, a one-way value transfer where a bunch of people are donating money or is this? Uh, will some people be able to treat this as a speculative investment and get returned money? So it's a grant making DAO. Okay. Uh, and so it's if you if you gain value from it, it's because uh, the appreciation of the portfolio. Because of all the work that people did from the money they got from the grant. Yes. Okay. Uh, so it's like let's build things. So you know, let's say it's us and Aragon and maybe Funfair or Gnosis and Decentraland and District Zero X. We all put our tokens into a pot, and you know, there, there's there's this idea that like I think is not really talked about enough in the space uh, for any of this to work for any of our tokens to have value for uh, decentralized infrastructure to matter um, web 2.0 needs to burn right like all of their users need to become our users and all of their money needs to become our money uh, so if we don't work together if we don't build the critical infrastructure that we all need, then none of this is going to be worth anything. <laughs> so if we are honest uh, about our objectives, then it would behoove us uh, to cooperate. So you said Web 2.0 needs to burn. Yeah. What does that look like? Facebook shares go to zero. Twitter shares go to zero. I buy a lot of Twitter shares. <laughs> But uh, uh, our last conversation, we actually talked about hyper-Bitcoinization or hyper-cryptoization, whatever you want to call it. Um, like, what does that world look like to you? Uh, I mean, people start using decentralized alternatives to all their favorite applications, and people imagine new applications that don't even exist yet. Uh, and the amount of value generated by the existing platforms drops significantly and the amount of attention that they command drops significantly uh, it's, it's hard to be like very specific about this unless you're like looking for a specific sort of what do you think that means for like humanity i'm just i'm trying to think a bigger picture here yeah i think there will be about 10 times as much value destruction uh, as value creation at first hmm. like if we are if we do you know make like something like ebay Right, takes I don't know eight, twelve, twenty percent of the fees in all of these, and like the reason it's still there is because it's like got network effects. Right, it's not very hard to build eBay anymore. It was it was hard to build eBay twenty years ago, and eBay was the best thing ever. And the thing it was replacing was like like mail catalogs and like sending people checks in the mail. Right, that was this was like a huge upgrade. Uh, but now there's no reason why anybody should use it except that everybody else does. So if you could create, you know, some sort of economic incentive to bring first movers and make it, uh, you know, rewarding for people to migrate off of it, then I think people would. And they would do it at, at scale uh, far more quickly than, like every digital innovation in history has been adopted faster and faster than the previous one. <laughs> right so if you just follow that logic like this will all happen way more quickly than anybody thinks uh so one of, one of like my sort of investment thesis is uh is that the like if you accept that blockchains especially smart contract uh platforms are coordination platforms in that they make credible commitments to future cooperation cheaper uh and so like let me just justify this for a second. Imagine the scenario where I'm like, I'm going to do X, and if I don't do X in one month, then those 100 people 
uh, I want I want you to take this pile of money, and if those hundred people say that I didn't do X in one month, burn it. Right? Like, how much would that cost to do in the traditional legacy legal structure? Right? I'd have to like get a custodian of funds. I'd have to. Uh, go and, and like get paperwork from all these people and then they have to vote blah, 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 right and it's like how hard is that on a smart contract it's like issue 100 tokens count the votes use a smart contract resco it's like a hundred or a thousand times or more cheaper right so if you accept the premise that uh smart contract platforms uh you know facilitate coordination uh at at scale then you should accept that the most disruptive opportunities are the ones that require unprecedented levels of coordination because it's coordination at a scale that people think uh, is impossible or infeasibly expensive that is now possible and cheap. Uh, so that's the type of stuff that I'm really excited about. Uh, that's like, for example, Spankchain's mission is, you know, we, uh, when, when I describe it, I say it's, it's a sex positivity cultural revolution uh, disguised as an advertising play, disguised as a business-to-business -business payment processor disguised as a campsite, right? And it's like crazy things like uh, the sex positivity revolution are now potentially feasible because if you hold Spank, if you participate in the Spank Bank, you actually could, you know, earn uh, value based on the growth of this network in a way that was previously accessible to you. Uh, and <laughs> that's that's the, the type of stuff that I'm thinking about. So like Moloch has the potential to be the most scalable organization on the planet because it, it's a guild for other companies to join uh, and participate in. Uh, and <laughs> that's, that's something that I think is interesting. It was born from, uh, you know, a consensus is currently like, maybe a, a 1.0 or like a 0.1 version of what I have in mind, right? Because consensus is this interesting organization where it facilitates incentive alignment by everyone because you have equity in the hub and the hub owns tokens in a bunch of the projects that spin out or equity in those projects. And so now uh, you have an incentive to work on things that, you know, not only help Ether, but help specifically consensus projects become more valuable, right? It's a portfolio with employees. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting model, but one of my gripes with it is that, you know, as a holder of this hub equity, like I can't actually get at those tokens, uh, and it would be really nice to be able to do that. And so that's something I built into uh, the DAO, is to make it very easy uh, to exit. Uh, so you actually get around a lot of the game theoretic concerns by allowing anybody to leave at any time. So if a vote is accepted and you know it, the hat comes around for everybody to chip in. If you vehemently oppose that uh, that project or the addition of some new member, uh, you can take your voting shares, uh, liquidate uh, your interest in the uh, guild, and receive your proportional share of tokens on demand. Uh, so, um, yeah, the only things left to do for that is like build a UI and a database and get some more audits and start funding proposals. Uh, it's so far, Spankchain is basically designed to have all of the problems of Ethereum first. <laughs> so we're one of the only things with users. Uh, and so far, I've been paying for a lot of this myself. Uh, and it'd be really great to not have to. Uh, <laughs> so Nice, nice, nice. So have you have you gotten any um, any like verbal commitments or any other interest from other teams or projects in Moloch or in contributing to the Moloch ecosystem? Yeah, all the right people know. Cool. Yeah, I'm assuming you can't name names. Uh, nobody's formally, uh, you know, made made a declaration. But like, the, the, my business strategy for this is not to like go try and pitch people and get support. It's just like build it, ship it, put all my money into it, and then go have those conversations because I think they'll happen a lot faster. Because with the your skin in the game, be like, hey, uh, you know, well, when you're ready, we'll jo join the thing, and I'll be like, mm -hmm. fuck it, let's just ship the thing and then go to everybody after. So that's, that's the plan. Awesome. Looking forward to it. So I want to get your opinion on voting because personally, I, I personally think that when I see DAOs or solutions that have individual stakeholders with voting rights, I actually turns me off because I think that is the opposite of what we're doing. 
Um, I think that crypto and blockchain enable a new type of consensus that gets away from this old format of voting. So I would love to kind of hear your rebuttal to that. I think I think it depends on like how you get the votes. Uh, in this specific case, uh, if in order to join as a member, you have to be voted in. Uh, so you only get votes if you apply for them, and then everyone who already has votes uh, allow you know agrees. So it's not like I'm actually not a fan of, for example, on-chain governance, uh, where the on-chain governance is to govern the blockchain that it's on. Um, so I'm, but I'm definitely a fan of using on-chain governance to govern other things. Right. Uh, Elaborate what, what you mean like, by that. Yeah. So, like using, you know, on-chain governance to, um, to to run Moloch, for example, as a smart contract, or as a separate thing that we can build on top of uh, Ethereum, but it's not necessarily influencing Ethereum itself. Uh, right. So that's what I mean. Like, I'm not a big fan of like the whole block producer DPoS thing that EOS has going on. Um, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. Gotcha. So you like voting, but you want to abstract it away from the blockchain. I, I, I'll be a little bit more clear. Uh, I like voting in general. Uh, I don't like voting on the fundamentals of like the plat- like blockchain platforms themselves. Um, I think that uh, a more powerful consensus model is like, Everybody who cares, all the developers have to get together and like decide to some other sort of process, and then that's only part of the stakeholders, right? It's like that's a separate type of consensus formation than something like stakeholders voting. Uh, that's a separate type of consensus mechanism than something like hash power voting, uh, and it's a different community of people. And it's like you want the the developers, the users, the miners, the stakers to have uh, all have a say and not have the you know sort of dominant say right so like developers can write write software and ship it users can choose whether or not to upgrade it or not and miners can choose whether or not to uh, mine on it uh, or not right so when you have uh, like you know when you, when you have a hard fork right everybody, has the option it's it's not quite a vote but it's like everybody's the option to stay or go right uh and and you're you're basically on both chains at the same time uh, and so it's it's up to you where where you want to end up and then people go based on what they what what they want uh, so I, I think i think that's like sort of more powerful um because if you embed everything in a vote than the people who if you're if you're locked in and then you vote on stuff uh this is actually why i made it so that you can exit at any time if you're locked in and then you vote on stuff like so let's say for example that uh the the guild moloch uh had some sort of inflationary reward from the blockchain itself right and and then it was able to distribute that well now you don't want to leave because uh you want to get part of this inflationary reward Right? There's, there's this external factor that's keeping you there. This is a uh, you know, resource that you, you're getting to divide up. As opposed to something where if, if that didn't exist, then you can leave at any time. There's no lock-in. Right? Uh, and so for, for whenever there's lock-in, you have a sort of perverse incentive uh, to get other people in on this thing and then sort of collude and take over the votes and then have them seem like they're participating but not actually uh, listen to any anything they're saying, and so voting voting can be somewhat uh, disingenuous. Like you, you might not actually have any power. Like, a lot of these systems just get captured. I think in my model, you're just retaining the people who uh, the cost benefit of staying outweighs the you know the benefit of staying outweighs the cost of leaving. All right. So um, when when you in when you introduce external factors, um, then it changes that calculus. So, uh, for you know, if, in the inflation reward scenario, now the benefit of staying is a little bit higher, and cost of leaving 
right? So uh, you might you might stick around, but then it means that you might end up paying for a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't have otherwise wanted to pay for, uh, where normally you would have just left, right? Uh, so stuff like that. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I was like, leave, leave, having it's 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 basically voluntary, right? It's not necessarily altruism. Uh, it's just saying, hey. Uh, all of the people, we're, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's voluntary, it, it's buy into an ideology, and the ideology is like all the people who are willing to bleed uh, in order to get things done faster, uh, we're just going to work together and do this and, and hang out, and you can leave at any time, right? <laughs> and when you leave, there's nothing you're leaving behind, right? You can take 100% of uh, what you came in with, except what you have paid for by participating in the, the collective bloodletting. I like that analogy, collective bloodletting. What are you willing to sacrifice, man? <laughs> it's the only question that matters. David, in case, unless you want to uh, stay on this subject, I'd actually like to ask Amin uh, something slightly different. Yeah, let's move on. Wait, so, I mean, I, Spank Chain, of course, I'm sure, makes a lot of people uncomfortable. I'm curious what have been some interesting conversations that you've had and like have you converted people into like seeing your way? Yeah. Uh so Spank Chain does make some people uncomfortable. Uh we have converted many people to seeing our way. When we started, it was seen as a joke, just another porn coin. Like people would say, you know, are you sure about this? Like you really want to put your name on that? Uh and you know, I'm like, I think this makes sense. Like, I believe that this is this is right. Uh, and had a lot of conversations with people. Uh, and a lot of it is like people having to, uh, you know, they, they see the face value. We make a lot of jokes. We embrace the uh, humor of the adult industry. We, you know, call our product names, Spank Bank, you know, Come Swap stuff, stuff like that. They see that and they're like, oh, it's just a bunch of bros. Uh, trying trying to make money off off porn or whatever, and it's like yeah you know it's it's somewhat that but like it, and we use that to our advantage in, in our marketing materials uh, because it, it spreads further. Um, but then like there's a deeper mission here, uh, and we we are building real technology and we're shipping maybe out shipping a lot of the t other teams in the space, and when people see that they're like okay maybe you know there's something else going on here. Uh, I should reconsider. Right, and so the the I, I make heavy use of uh, strategic mimetic filters uh, in order to to curate uh, the inflow of our community members, <laughs> and so everybody who is initially part of Spankchain who like read the white paper, participated in the token sale, somebody who is able to look at something like Spankchain and say, uh, you know, I I I'm, I can get over the name because I believe in what these these crazy guys are doing uh and yeah we, we we the way i think about it is like it's an inside joke and the, the the bubble of people who are in on the joke continues to expand right and i've had these conversations like i was at devcon ravecon somebody comes up to me um i was like talking with christian reitweisner the guy who invented solidity and complaining about there only being 16 variables because i needed more for the last payment channels and somebody else comes up and he's like you know what man like i have to say like I, I saw Spankchain, I thought it was just a dumb joke, and like now seeing this, like you guys produced all this tech, and like I, you know, you guys have all these sex workers that uh, you're helping, and I've been to the site, and I've tipped, and you know, all of this is working. I just have to say, like, you know, I love it, a huge fan, like, I want to support you guys however we can, uh, and, and that like makes my day, you know, uh, it's, it's getting people to, to change their mind to come around uh, and, and believe in us. and it's because we had we, we had a, a lot to prove right like you know nobody was going to believe in us uh, off you know only a few people were going to believe in us uh, from the get-go but we were able to leverage that and bring everybody together in order to make this something that everybody can support uh, and, and we've done a pretty good job of that so far and I, I think we're going to continue to to break barriers and uh, I think things are going to get weirder um, because people people look at us and they they expect Spank Chain to go from like one to two, uh, but I think that Spank Chain next year is going to be like just as crazy to contemplate as Spank Chain today would be to contemplate last year, 
because uh, I'm trying to figure out how to go from one to ten. And I hope everyone uh, who is already in, who is newly going to discover Spank Chain, you know, bears with us uh, and you know uh, tries tries to think for themselves and, and evaluate uh, for for themselves based on the merits of, of what we're doing, uh, our position on on various things. Um, when you say going from one to ten, are you talking about just the uh, the blatancy of the uh, jokes and inside jokes and and uh, naming? Is that what you're talking about? I'm um, I'm talking about like how do we get here from full on victory of the sex positivity cultural revolution? Okay, uh, and that that's going to be uh, an interesting journey. Uh, and it's not going to be one that makes everyone feel comfortable all the time. And you're, go you know, it's going to force people to have to ask themselves hard questions and think about, you know, why they believe what they believe and potentially draw new conclusions. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd definitely have to say that uh, I I'm one of those converts. Uh, <coughs> it, it was during uh, your ICO. David was like, "You guys, we got to do this." Like, yeah, I was feeling it pretty hard. He was like, this is the best shit ever, like, best team, you gotta do it. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? And then, <laughs> you know, saw you speak a couple times, I was actually at Blockchain Week, just kind of followed the project, saw how you guys stayed relevant, how, saw that it was really technology forward, but definitely had that mission. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm definitely a fan. Cool. I was one of my uh, friends from uh, business school where I went to a, a school that had a pretty prestigious business school in it. And he, so he's a traditional finance guy and, but you know, millennial. So getting into cryptocurrency and trying to understand it. And he asked me what two projects should I go look at to kind of learn about this stuff? And, and so I tell him to go look at OMG and spank. And he goes, are you fucking serious? These tokens are called OMG and spank. What the hell is this? So it, it, took, it, it takes people a second to really uh, get into this new culture that is cryptocurrency. So uh, you are definitely blazing that path for sure. Yeah, blazing a lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 420 somewhere. Yeah. It's coming up actually. Yeah, 18 minutes. <laughs> Stay on schedule, right? Yeah. Um, I think we, let's well, just ask you, you about... Were gonna, uh, you were going to ask about the grant, right? This is a this is a great segue into the four hundred and twenty thousand dollar grant that we received from the Ethereum Foundation uh, in order to open source our payment channel hub uh, and uh, SDK software, uh, which we received uh, as uh, with Connect as well. So yeah, let's uh, let's go into that a little further. What what kind of uh, applications or projects could utilize the software that has not yet been created? Uh, anybody doing like merchant payments, music streaming, video, like any type of content, micro payments. It, it can also be applied to like IoT type stuff, um, like energy trading payments. Uh, there's, you know, any time that you have like sort of small value transactions uh, for data, for example, advertising, um, these, are, these are the types of things that uh, could benefit. Like something I'm really excited about is attention markets. Uh, so, you know, right now, every time you launch a website, you open a website, there's, you know, these little rectangles on the site, those serve ads, and there's a whole auction done in 0.2 seconds uh, that hits up all of the advertisers on earth and sends them all the information they know about you. And then they, uh, put in their bids for what they think that tiny sliver of your attention is worth. Uh, and it's a second price auction. And so the, the first person wins at the price, the second put per person put in, uh, and then, uh, you see that ad, right? Now as a user, something that'd be really cool is like get paid when that happens. And the reason I can't is because like the complexity of dealing with everybody's bank accounts is too high. But if everybody had Ethereum addresses, if the advertisers and the users were connected uh, to the site owner through, you know, a, 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 the, the same payment channel hub, then it would be trivially easy to have a slight, you know, some fraction of those micropayments per impression to be directed to the user as well. Uh, likewise, the user would also be able to participate in the auction uh, and you could have uh, pay the fair market value of an advertisement in order to block it at the time. Like that's just one example of one of the things that I think is cool that uh, people people could use this stuff for. Um, but that's the, kind of the map the bat model, right? It's bat model, but you don't need bat to do it. Like yeah. I would do it on my site and just use booty. 
uh, then sell the software to allow anybody to do it on their sites. Uh, there's there's actually uh, there's there's a spank combinator <laughs> model here uh, where we know that we're building technology that other people are going to want, and so we work with the companies who to build it, and then they market it to the rest of the ecosystem, and we take a position in those companies. Uh, and that's what we did with Connext, and now we have equity swap uh, ownership swap with them, where we have you know some some percentage of their equity, and and they have some percentage of spank, uh, and so now. They are able to go and market the payment channels tech that we both built together. Uh, I anticipate us doing this uh, for other things as well. If somebody wants to build the next Twitch, uh, use SpankChain tech. It's copy-paste for me. So if you're in that community, then we'll license it to you and give you a head start. And you know, that, that's, a, that's a model that works. Very cool. Very cool. Very excited. Um, so we'll get on to 55 minutes on this, uh, on this podcast. So let's, uh, close this out. Let's, so let's do another one. This is fun. Yeah. It's, we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> oh, we will absolutely have you back on, back on. I'm glad you liked it. Christian and I uh, debate a lot about, uh, the future of cryptocurrency and it kind of just started as an Ethereum versus Bitcoin debate. Uh, so describe for us your vision of cryptocurrency in like 10 to 20 years and, in the uh, the viable contenders that are left in the uh, in the crypto war, uh, I don't think Bitcoin's going anywhere. Um, I don't think Ethereum's going anywhere. Uh, I don't really feel that way about anything else. Uh, I think that Coin Market Cap is sort of like PUBG's lobby. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever played PUBG. It's a hundred person survival uh, deathmatch, last man standing. Uh, so, you know. I have my whole team play PUBG. Uh, it's like, I call it apocalypse training <clears throat> uh, because the mindset you have to have to win PUBG uh, when you're in that lobby and you see the nine, 98 other people uh, is everyone else needs to die for me to win. Hmm. <laughs> That's sort of how I feel looking at CoinMarketCap sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, 10, 15 years, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm really excited for people to start uh, realizing that, like, the thing that is, you know, going to happen soon is, like, central banks will start diversifying, uh, potentially out of dollars, uh, into some basket of cryptocurrency uh, in order to hedge against the dollar losing its dominance as the global reserve currency of the earth. Uh, probably booty. I think they'll buy. Um, that was my first choice, too. Yeah. Exactly right, uh, and so uh, that that's a thing. So like Bitcoin is you know sort of like the gold. It's how it's been branded. You know, people who buy it want to hold it on twenty year timelines, right? So they're not they're not doing anything with it. Um, but Ethereum has a different role in all of this, uh, where the ultimate potential for Ethereum, in my view, is for it's, it's to secure international finance uh, in a cooperative way amongst competitive nations. Uh, so if I am a government, uh, I want to issue... So I think that governments are going to start issuing their own uh, digital currency, central bank-backed digital currency. They already have, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, Gemini so dollar is... circle? That's the same shit as far as I'm concerned. That's FedCoin. Yeah. Right. So FedCoin is, is here. Uh, and I hope I hope Fedcoin is good. Like I hope Fedcoin is like cash, uh, in that cash has privacy built in. Uh, right, like cash is a bearer asset. Uh, any, anybody who has it, you know, it's theirs. Uh, there's there's no you, you can't tell where it came from, where it goes. Uh, and so you know whatever government makes their digital currency like cash, I think will uh, be more successful because there will be a competitive market for uh, digital fiat. Um, and then I think that as governments do that, you know, there, there's this, you know, let's say five, 10, 20, hundred governments do this, uh, and then they want to trade with each other. Well, how do you know that the money that you're receiving from, you know, Australia is, uh, hasn't been double spent, right? With, with some other country, uh, well, you route it through a global public blockchain. Uh, and I think that the most likely, most secure, choice for doing this is uh, Ethereum, and I think that uh, governments who 
do use it will also see the viability in buying, holding, staking some ether in order to then contribute to the security of the network. And I think that's the ultimate potential for Ethereum. That's like my bull case. Um, I don't think they'll do something like that for EOS, for example. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but like, you know, in the short term, app developers might use it because it scales. Uh, in, the, in the sort of next three years, my outlook on uh, multi-chains, parachains, sidechains is that like a lot of value will outflow from Ethereum uh, into, you know, things like Cosmos, Polkadot. EOS, and then once sharding strikes, it'll be like the return of the Jedi, and all of that value will come right back <coughs> into Ethereum. That's and that's sort of my sort of shorter term view. Uh, I I think that if all of this does happen, uh, I think the danger is like there's more surveillance uh, because then like it's a lot easier to track every transaction ever. Um, but the opportunity is that because there is, you know, privacy preserving crypto technology that like maybe it's also potentially more private in some areas too. Um, I'm not really sure how, how it's all going to go. I'm optimistic about the technology, but pessimistic about humanity. Uh, <laughs> you know, you want universal basic income and what normally ends up happening is like, you just have like half the humans or something. Uh, <laughs> So it's uh could go either way. Who knows? Fair enough. Well, this was good. This was great. I mean, I really enjoyed having you on here. Uh, Christian, you got any uh, closing statements? No, this is a great conversation. Again, happy to have you on anytime, man. And uh, I mean, why don't you tell the folks uh, where they can find you? Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Uh, if you like this, uh, you want to come find us. I'm on Twitter at Amin Sol, A-M-E-E-N-S-O-L, uh, SpankChain is on Twitter. You can find a link to our Discord there, and we have a vibrant community of cryptocurrency enthusiasts, porn stars, performers, uh, all talking about crypto and teaching each other fun things. So come hang out. Do you have an ask for our audience? Uh, go and check out spank.live and start tipping our, our performers generously. You heard the man. Yep. And, and make sure they're, you know, performer, the first uh, experience with crypto is good. Like, don't be a douchebag. Don't be a douchebag. <laughs> All right. I think that's a good place yep. to end it. Thanks a lot. Yep. All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye. Man, David, that was a really good show. Everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode 11, our first interview. Don't forget, please rate, share, uh, hit us up on Twitter. We're at POV Crypto Pod. I'm Christian Corollis on Twitter at CK underscore Snarks. You can find me at trustless underscore state, both on Twitter and on Medium. I just released an article about MakerDAO. Check it out. It's a good one. We'll talk about it maybe on a later episode. Yeah, David has been killing the MakerDAO analysis, so highly recommend checking him out. Check us all out. See you, David. Bye, guys. Do you believe? Will you deceive?